It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Well, thank you, Chuck, and welcome, everybody. Episode three of In the Front Row with Mike Vaccaro. I am Mike Vaccaro out front, behind the scenes, creator, producer, and director, J.R. Quitman with us as well. Thanks for joining us here today. If you missed the first two episodes, pretty good ones, go back to our YouTube channel. You can watch those. Episode one with New York Post sports writer Mike DeCaro, no relation to me. Episode two was Joe Rosen, a Major League Baseball sports agent. You want to listen to that one as well, especially right now during the MLB playoffs going on. So who do we get and where do we go for episode number three? For episode number three, we go to basketball and to an old friend for me, Buzz Peterson. Uh, Buzz, at one point, the head coach here at UNCW, where I'm the play-by-play announcer. And obviously a great background before that time spent at North Carolina, roommate of Michael Jordan. And he is the answer to a trivia question after beating out Michael Jordan twice for North Carolina Player of the Year as a high school player, Jordan runner-up to Buzz Peterson both those times. Now spending time as an assistant GM with the Charlotte Hornets, episode number three, our guest, is Buzz Peterson. Well, Coach, first of all, uh, I appreciate you joining us here today. I know you're very busy uh, about to kick off the NBA season as you're the assistant GM with the, the Charlotte Hornets. But uh, thanks for taking a little time out of your schedule to, to spend some time with us here today. Mike, hey, thanks for having me. Uh, good memories with you and everything, the, the shows we used to do. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited about doing this. Yeah, you, I call you Coach because that's – you know, my reference point for you, you and I worked together for a couple of years, four years at, at UNCW. We did pro- hundreds of interviews, but nothing that really focused on you. You know, it was always about your team, always about your players. So um, obviously you have a very interesting story, an interesting background. I wanted to get into that here today. And, and let's start at the very beginning. As you were born in Asheville, North Carolina, obviously you gravitated to, to basketball how did that happen? Who who put that basketball in your hand, and, and when did you realize that that was going to be your sport? Interesting, Mike. Yes, that uh, I was talking to my kids at night about this. Um, you know, I grew. I was born in Nashville. I grew up in Hickory, and the uh, I got intrigued by, by basketball a little bit. All sports, really, but I like basketball. I used to go to Lenore Ryan. My mom would take me to the games there. Lenore Ryan and Rick Barnes was on the team then. And she would tell me I'd come home after games and have to shoot a, a little basketball into trash cans at the end of the hallway. But my my love for a lot of things were, was football. I, I really enjoyed football a lot. Uh, I played it up to about my sophomore year in high school. The only problem was I tried to eat a lot of peanut butter sandwiches to get bigger, but I only weighed like 165 pounds, uh, 6'3", whatever at the time, and 165. And I, I, I thought I was going to get broke in half, but I, I loved it. I, played quarterback, uh, punted, kicked. I did all that stuff. I just, and the other love, I had baseball. Uh, I love baseball a lot. And uh, I played that up to my sophomore year. But I got to the point there, Mike, I said, I've got to decide what do you want to do. If you want to step up, you know, go farther, get a college scholarship, which sport can you excel in? And um, I thought with my body frame and everything, I said, it probably it's going to be uh, basketball. I played shortstop uh in in baseball uh i can never be a power hitter i was always hitting the opposite way but i could get on i was a, usually i hit first force a lot so but mm, i loved it I, I just my grandfather used to I'd go to their house he used to hit, hit pickle with me all the time hit grounders and uh 
So that's anyway. One quick story on baseball. I'll never forget when I was in Asheville. For, I think it's a fourth grade. There was a guy that's older. <coughs> it was a third baseman, and I was supposed to lead, but I showed the coaches I could I could do a grounder. I could get I could hit just a little bit. So they bumped me up. But the third baseman in that that team in that league was Kyle Ripken Jr. His dad was the uh, manager for the Asheville Tourist at the time. So, anyway, that's a story about that. But, you know, I went on to play, play a little basketball in Asheville High. The team was pretty good. Uh, we lost in, in the tournament, state tournament Chapel Hill High School and then went on to North Carolina from there. So, uh, had some success, had some injuries along the way. But basketball has been really, very, very good for me and my family and everything. It's taken us this far into coaching and now to the front office in NBA. And I guess you grew up in a time where, where you did play, you know, more than one sport. Right now you're seeing more specialized, kids specializing in, in one sport. Was it fun at that time to play all those different sports and kind of get a taste of every one until you found out, like you said, what was going to be, you know, maybe your passion? Yeah, there was no AU at the time. So you didn't have that. You know, once basketball was over with, you jumped to baseball. Once baseball was over with, you jumped in the summertime, you jumped to football right into it in the fall. Uh, so you didn't have the long season with the basketball or anything. So it was fun. Uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, being around the guys and the team and everything in high school there. But uh, I, I just I'd, I'd have probably been broken in half way not being that skinny and everything. Uh, but anyway, it's it's uh, it's it's been it was uh, fun. The days in high school were very good. Uh, then on the Chapel Hill was even better. Well, let's talk about basketball now. And and at what point? You know, did you think, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I've got a chance to, to take this to the next level. When were you starting to get recruited by, by some of the big names out there? It, it, you know, when I was in the sixth grade, I was in middle school, and the PE teacher had these cones out. And he said, "Go, we're doing this. So I went through these cones, and I jumped in line first and all that stuff. And after class is over with, he says, uh, you like basketball? I said, I love it. He says, let me tell you something, young man. He said, if, if if you allow me to work with you, I, I think I can help you become a better player and everything. I said, okay, I, I'll do whatever. So I painted lines in my driveway. My mom and dad got mad, but I had 10 spots where I'd shoot from. And it's just a drive there that want to be good. And my goal was, Mike, was to become a McDonald's All-American. And what I want, I mean, my goal, I could look out and see a mailbox. And I said, I want to get a scholarship. I want to get letters in the mail from universities. And it's changed, had much changed now. I mean, phone calls, there was no phone calls back then. There was no emails, nothing like that. I wanted to get a letter in a mailbox. By the ninth grade, eighth, ninth grade, I started getting some letters. And I think I had my first offer about in the ninth grade. And that's when I thought I might have a, ch a chance to excel at it. 1981, you were the parade and McDonald's All-Americans. So was that kind of the big checkoff on, on your list? Like you said, that's what you wanted to do. And, and what was it like once that happened? The, the coach, my coach, uh, Rodney Johnson, called me into his office, and uh, he, had, he had told me about that. And it was kind of, you know, and I, I think back, I mean, like two days later, he said, You're, you made a parade All-American. And then the one that really got me, called me and says, you've been, uh, you were awarded the North Carolina High School Player of the Year. And I said, really, that's great. But that's the one that gets Michael a little bit. <laughs> he just, he tells people, you've heard me say this all the time. He said, yeah, Buzz's dad on, you know, six out of seven major newspapers in North Carolina. That's why he got it. <laughs> but uh, it, it, the awards were coming there pretty quick. And, and um, 
Yeah, it was it was kind of it's kind of interesting with different things, and um, but that's something. That, my goal was to work hard to get there. I had a couple high school teammates that loved to play. They were all a year younger than me. Um, so the, the, the high school coach, he gave me a lot of resources to be successful and allow me the opportunity to, to gain a lot of these achievements. Well, you touched on it there twice, the North Carolina Player of the Year, and, and you're probably the answer to a trivia question, you know, who beat out Michael Jordan both of those times? What did you know of Michael Jordan at the time? Obviously, what we know of him now is one of the best, if not the best, NBA players and, and basketball players of our generation. But what did you know about him back at that point? We talked about this about a month ago. Michael and I did it in his office. Back then, it was Mike. Uh, Forty-plus years it's been. And I was in Granville Tower South, about, I don't know, seventh floor, whatever. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> About this, uh, one of the top floors where I was there with my high school teammate, Randy Shepard. Michael was there with his high school teammate, Leroy Smith. Uh, we met each other in the dorm there on a Sunday afternoon. We talked, and Michael came in and says, Hey, I've done a little a little background on you. I said, You have? He said, Yeah. He said, How'd you get to the BC camp? That was Bolton and Cronauer's camp down in Millersville, Georgia. I said, Well, my high school coach told me, he said, It's probably the best talented. And they were calling him for wanted me to come to the camp, but you had to have three letters from the Division One coaches to get in at the time. And Michael didn't know anything about the camp. And that's kind of where I went down there. And, you know, I've always, I've told players, I've told kids, everything. Sometimes you just need that one game or that one half. You can really set the tone or build that, you know, you've made it there. And I had maybe one or two games in front of some coaches that were there to watch Aubrey Sherrod. We went to Wichita, Kansas. He was one of the top two guards in the country at that time. I had two really good games against him in front of these coaches. And then that was – next thing I know, I got switched from another team. And uh, I think it was Chambers – Coach Chambers it was at Kentucky at the time. I got put on his team. And I hardly played for the rest of the week. And he kept telling me, he said, you've done all you can do. You've showed everybody. Kentucky wants you to come play there and all that stuff. So, to make a long story short, I was very – I got committed to Kentucky, but Michael and I made this little promise to each other we'd go play at the same school one another. Uh, to your question, I never played with Michael that whole week at Chapel Hill. He played with my high school teammate, Randy Shipper, and I would ask Randy, I said, Randy, what kind of player is he? He says he's a, he's more of a post player at 6'4". He doesn't shoot well from outside, but what he can do, you can throw alley-oops to him. He's pretty good, and he can rebound. Uh, so that, you know, Never saw him, and then we go to high school and all that stuff. Then we started playing the McDonald's All-American games, and uh, his high school team got eliminated a little bit early. Uh, then we got eliminated by Chapel Hill. We played in the Capital Classic, um, and then we played in the McDonald's East-West game. And that's when I knew then this guy, for me to beat him out of Chapel Hill, is going to be tough. It's going to be really hard because I think he went for 30 points at that game. Is it true he kept calling you roommate? To, to try to get you and, and, and kind of pester you to go to Carolina over Kentucky? You know, there was one signing period back then in April, uh, and he committed in November. And I, I I visited Kentucky, and when I got back, I, I told Joby Hall, Leonard Hamilton, Joe, du, Joe Dean Jr., those guys that I was coming. I got to school. On the way to school, it was a Sunday night. On the way to school Monday, I told one of my teammates, I said, look, I won't tell you, but please don't tell anybody. I don't want anybody to know right now, but I, I, I'm going to Kentucky. He said, really? And I said, yeah, that's, that's where I, I really like the place. 
Well, he goes directly to that gym and tells my high school coach, I'm in homeroom class. <laughs> he comes and gets me out for about the next four periods. I, you know, he's talked to me. We're going through the whole stuff. You know, why there? You should be going to Chapel Hill. You need to look at. I was in Maryland, Duke, and, uh, and Virginia, and these schools. And Shashevsky and just got there. wasn't sure about him and everything. So, long story short, um, I told myself, so I'll, I'll sit back and let me think about it a little bit. And and then the next day, Coach Smith came to practice and then came to my house. Of course, my mom liked that. My dad, my dad was. That's not really a. Big, he's more baseball fan than anything, and he he brought me. You know, he said, "Well, he said I I don't know if you should open this thing back up, but I'll stay away from it. Don't let anybody influence you. All this stuff." So, but then I started getting calls from Michael. Hey, what's going on? We're supposed to go to school together. Da, da, da. I said, "Yeah." So I opened it back up, and uh, probably in January, two months later, I committed to North Carolina. So stuck with my promise with him. So. Uh, uh, and we were in Oklahoma City that day for exhibition game, and I was walking the door, and the guy says, uh, you were Jordan's roommate, right? I said, yeah, I get recognized that by a lot. I said, you know what? We've all screwed up a lot. But there's one thing I did right, my man. I picked the right roommate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always going to be a, kind of a footnote in your, your bio that you were his roommate. So so who 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 recruited you? Was it Michael Jordan or was it Dean Smith? Who, who was the better recruiter in that process? I had, uh, they were both good recruiters in Eddie Fogler. Roy Williams, Coach Guthers, they were they were good recruiters. And, you know, but Mike, I grew up in the state. I was a, um, I, I I went to camp there eight years in a row. I, I liked this, you know, I was in love with North Carolina, but somehow I got overwhelmed by Kentucky at the time and was intrigued. They only had one scholarship, and uh, They love their basketball, Wildcat Lodge, where they lived at the time. So I was a 17-year-old kid who got got, in, got intrigued by their uh, facilities and their coaches. Well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, again, North Carolina. And, and, and let's start with Dean Smith. What I'm sure to this day there's things that, that you do, the person that you are, that maybe are a reflection of, of Dean Smith. What, what's, what's your memories of him as your coach and maybe as a, a mentor in your life? Well, the, the big thing is I'll never forget asking him. I said, when I got the job in 96 at App State as a coach, I said, what's it going to take to be successful? And uh, he says, Buzz, how did you feel like it was here? I said, well, I'll tell you, I feel like your, your, your program was very disciplined. And he said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I just felt like on the floor when we were coaching, we – it was, it, we all you had attention of all of us. You you were the main voice. There no the other other coaches. It was your voice. Uh, it was very structured, very disciplined. Off the floor, you you we had to live that disciplined life also. And so uh, that was something I always took from him. Uh, but the the you know the one thing about coach is he made it a family atmosphere. Once you were done, that's not the end of you. He would, you know, he, you know, what can, you know, what can we do to help you be successful now? What path, career path, you want to take? And he's an influence on all of us. And, and down to Coach Guthridge, I mean, Coach Guthridge was there with us every day in, in, in between the trenches. Uh, when things got tough, he was there to communicate with. Uh, just, just a tremendous staff and everything with Roy Williams and, and Eddie Fogel at the time. So, but I. It, it was a, it was a great memories, you know. The '82 team, as we see there, won it all. Uh, but I'll never forget Coach Smith telling some people one time he thought the '84 team was the most talented team he ever had that didn't win a national championship. 
Well, I mean, you, you look at the 82 team, though, you know, and JR has some pictures there of the team. I mean, it was a, a pretty stacked team to win it. And, and you know, he had near, near misses, uh, Coach Smith did, as far as winning a national championship. To, to be that team that brought him the first one, what, what does that mean to you guys even to this day? Well, Mike, when, when you look at success, if it's baseball, if it's football, whatever it is, a lot of time, a lot, a lot of times that you always hear the coach's voice or the coach's voice all the time. You know that's kind of natural. You hear it, you hear it, you hear it. But when you, when you're out there and you, you make a teammate upset or you that you let your teammates down, that really can get to you if you're a competitor. And so when you have this, the leader within these teams, we had a guy that by the name of Jimmy Black. We we had a leader there and. We did not want to let him down. And it, the, throughout that year, he would have meetings, and it would say, hey, guys, we're going to be the first to win it for him. We're going to be the first. And he would, you know, you know, he said, hey, we got three three different parts of the season, non-commerce, commerce, and postseason. Let's get ourselves ready for it, focus. So Jimmy had us, he had us to the team. And, and, and these meetings would be real short sometimes in his dorm room. We'd be all just standing around and say, get rest, let's be ready to go tomorrow. And the other thing is, I was talking to Penny Hardaway about this earlier this week. It, it's, we all knew our role. The chemistry was, everybody was happy with it. Coach Smith had a philosophy. If you're a starter and you're tired, you bring yourself out, you can bring yourself back in. We knew that. So you had to start to get there. Um, so if you didn't, so you, nothing but your fault that you're not there. So I was content with coming off the bench and, and subbing for Michael or Matt, whatever. And I was happy with that. Jim Brack was happy coming for for uh, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Black, so all the way down to the line. So everybody was excited, happy. The chemistry was great. Nowadays, I, like I told Penny, I said, I don't know how y'all do it because the the AU coach, the parents are in their ear. You're the best thing. Da da da. You should be playing 25 minutes a game. Coach is doing you wrong. Da da da. We didn't have any of that stuff. There was no social media. So. I don't know how the coaches do it to this day. It's got to be difficult. It's got to be really hard how they manage now with the NIL and all that stuff. I just don't know how they do it, and it's it can make it a lot difficult. But the one thing I will say, our team chemistry, it was it was it was the best. Interesting that they, they, you know you would say somebody like Jimmy Black was your leader. You know, again, you had some talented guys in James Worthy, Perkins. You had Michael Jordan as well. Uh, but it was a guy that maybe didn't have that light on him all the time. But was it important that it was someone like him and, and maybe not a Michael Jordan? Well, it, it's he was the quarterback, the point guard. I think that's a key position. Sure. Football, it's the quarterback. You know, and maybe baseball's the catcher sometimes that that has to be that leader. So, you know, as our point guard, I mean, he he's you know he was like the coach out on the four four. So it just matched up well. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a your three man or your four man, somebody that that can be the uh, to be the leader, but it's just things just lined up perfect for us as Jimmy Black, the point guard, being uh, being our leader within the team. So again, the nineteen eighty two national championship. From there, uh, you get drafted seventh round by the Cavs in nineteen eighty five, and then you played overseas. Um, you know, how, how long was that? What was that like for you? And yeah, yeah, and at yeah. what point did you think, you know, maybe playing isn't going to be my future, and it's going to be coaching instead? When I got drafted, I said, I, I told Coach Smith, I said, that must be a favorite Coach Carl did for you, whatever, to draft me. 
but I went up there. George was great. Uh, spent time with a little preseason, and you know he called me and said, "Buzz, it's you need to go to CBA. You need to go there for a year to uh, get a feel for the game." Well, I go to Bangor, Maine. Uh, I don't know if many people have been there, but it's it's not warm at all. So I stayed in the Hilton at the airport with another guy, and uh, you know I was like we talked about discipline a while ago. Well. It practiced at 10 o'clock at North Carolina where you were there a lot early. You got all your work done, and, and by the time the coach came in at 10, your practice starts. Well, I, I was doing that same thing, and then 10 o'clock we get there, and, and it'd be like one or two of us. Uh, and then practice may start 30, 35 minutes later, whatever. And then so it was just, you know, I told coach about it, and I was going to say, you know, I'm not having fun. He said, let me tell you something. He said, why don't you get back to Chapel Hill, come in, let's talk, you need a couple classes once you start with the masters, work on something like that, and, and, and be here, and let's talk about where you want to go. So that brings that family atmosphere here. Then you're thinking, all right, this guy cares about you. Whatever. So I go back, we talk, and I told him I want to get into coaching. And I'm not, not coaching, I'm sorry, scouting. He says, scouting? I said, yeah, in the NBA. He says, oh, Buzz, that could be tough. I said, and he said, because a lot of the scouts now are former college coaches. And they've got a lot of experience there. I just don't know if I can get you that. I said, well, how about scouting period? So he called Bob Gibbons, All-Star Sports, and that's where I started. And, you know, we didn't really talk a lot about coaching at that time. So I helped Bob out for a year. And I met uh, Ralph Patterson, uh, who was assistant at App State at the time. He said they had a part-time position open. I met with Coach Abke, and that's where I started in the coaching. But before all of that, after – you know, the, I had a little stint in Belgium. I went over there for a little bit. And, uh, you know, I just, that's when I knew that bas- dribbling basketball was, was about it. I came home uh, during the holidays and a uh, little description on the pay and all that stuff. And that was it for me. I knew that dribbling basketball was over. I got to do something else in my life. I mean, that, that's got to be a, a tough transition for, for any athlete. Oh, yeah. You know, again, especially a high-level athlete that you, that you were, the, the McDonald's All-American that you were, a national champion that you were. Was that a tough realization to come to that I've got to stop playing and, and look at the next step in my future? It's uh, it's a tough transition, Mike. It really is. It's very humbling uh, that it's something you've done all your life and now you can't do it. You see guys playing in the NBA that you played against and you feel like you did well against them and everything. But the bottom line is like your your body's not a, uh, it's not strong enough for whatever. They had that one moment that made them successful like I had it back in high school going to college. So it's just unfortunate I worked out, but I said, you know what? There's more that can be taken out of this. And then when I dipped into the coaching, uh, I think it was 1987, I believe, at App State. And, uh, I, I, you know, it was interesting. I'll never forget driving up to Boone from Asheville. And my dad goes, uh, I think my pay was, I, I think I got like 500, I don't know, like $500 a month or something like that. It's my pay for, for only like nine months. And, he's, and my rent was more than that. And, and blowing rock, I couldn't find anything in Boone. He said, look, here's some, uh, your mother and I will help you, uh, but we're only going to do it for three years. And after three years, you got to get a real job. <laughs> and I said, real job? I said, what do you mean? This is a real job, Dad. He said, no. He says, it's hard for me to say that's a real job when you, your life's depending on a 18-year-old's decision-making. Uh, to me, that that seems to that that's not a job and you and I, I sit there and think god he is right now years went on i said yeah why would you want to listen to 18 year old for your for your income and for your future so but yeah i 
And that's, uh, I was very fortunate after two years, I got a, a job at East Tennessee State. Well, you must be like a lot of coaches. You're stubborn. You still stuck with it. You, you still became a coach. And as you said, two years at App State, then ETSU after that. Uh, I know you spent a lot of time with Les Robinson at ETSU and then NC State as well. What kind of influence w- was he uh, on your coaching? You know, obviously you've got Dean Smith, but then a guy that, you know, you moved with and worked with at a couple of stops uh, had to have some influence on you as well. Yeah, but, you know, it's coaching's kind of interesting. You start meeting a lot of people and, yeah, I, I'm at app, and I'm going into the you know after the second season. So now we go to the third season. I'm thinking, oh boy, <laughs> I'm gonna find something pretty quick. Uh, but Les Robinson called Coach Smith and says, "I need assistant coach." So Dave Hanners got the job. So Dave Hanners went to Chapel Hill, and Les asked, "I need to replace him." He says, "Well, replace him." Uh, I know Buzz may be interested, so that's where I got the opportunity. She's like when I left. East Tennessee with the NC State with Les, Jeff Lebo took my spot at East Tennessee State. So, you know, it's a small it's a small circle with coaching and everything out there. But, uh, you know, I was, I was shocked that Les asked me to go to NC State. Um, but there had been other people there. Todd Turner at the time was coming in as, as AD, was a golf team at Carolina. Eric Hyman was a football player. He was his number two guy there. So there was many people that at NC State that went to school in North Carolina. Yeah, that, that Carolina family spreads wide, but but you're you're at NC State. What was that like for for a Carolina guy to be on the opposite bench, especially going into to Chapel Hill to take on yeah, the Tar Heels? I'll tell you what was interesting was uh, I never forget my first year. They they you play these international games and they introduce everybody and they introduce last assistant, and that's my turn to get introduced assistant. And the students started booing me and everything. <laughs> it was booing me. That's, that's fine. I mean, it's it, that's it's a little ribbon a little bit. And another thing I remember was we were playing. We were supposed to play. Uh, we were playing Carolina, and we were after a game. We were with Wendell Murphy and a couple people and the Chancellor Chancellor Monteith and everything. So Wendell comes with this brilliant idea. He said, "Hey, look, we're playing Chapel Hill next week. Buzz and I got a special coat for you." And he says, I'll have it ready in about two or three days, and I'll let you know where to go get it. Well, he calls me two days later and says, I've got a coat for you over at Cameron Village. And I had given him my size and everything. It was a ultra red suede sport coat. <laughs> and he wanted, to wear, uh, he wanted me to wear it against Chapel Hill. But what happened when it was time, and I was going to wear it. I mean, it's, and I told Coach Smith, well, you know, I, I talked to the guys, hey, that's who pays you. You got to wear it. You better do it. <laughs> and, when it came time to play Carolina, I walked into Smith Center and went to the locker room, went outside, didn't have my coat on. I was, the guys were, you know, shooting around everything. And that's when I saw both chancellors of both schools come down and ask for the head coaches. That's when Desert Storm, the war broke out. Mm-hmm. And it was eerie because it's always a 9 o'clock Wednesday night tip-off and nobody was in Smith Center. Everybody's kind of huddled around the concourse watching TVs. So I didn't wear the coat that night. I got out from wearing it, so we didn't reschedule the game for a month later, and we played in Raleigh and won, and then the next night, back-to-back nights, we played in Chapel Hill, and I wore that red coat both of those nights, and probably still have it, but it shrunk a little bit. (laughs) Well, I've seen the teal version of that, uh, your time at UNCW. I do have that coat. There you go. There you go. So it started with the red. So, you know, again, with Les Robinson, ETSU, NC State until 93, and then you go to, to Vanderbilt. 
And uh, Jan Van Bredekop, the head coach there, you're an assistant coach for him, and obviously comes from a, a basketball family. Was it a, a chance to to listen to somebody else, learn under somebody else at that time? You know, Mike, I was, you know, I'd been around the ACC all my life. Uh, I knew that a lot of people in the ACC, and my goal was to be a head coach by the age of 32. That's something that I, I don't know why 32. I just, that's what I wanted to be, and I was driven. And I said, you know what? If I'm going to know other people and broaden my horizon a little bit, I better go to another league. And if you remember, the, the Eddie Fogers at Vanderbilt had some situation there that worked out. So the AD was Paul Houlihan. Paul was my strength coach at Carolina when I played there. He hired Jan Van Bridicall, but he called me and said, look, I, I, I'd like to get you over here as associate head coach. So I went over and visited Jan and everything we talked, so he offered me a job. So we took, we took it, and um, I'm glad I did glad I did. I got to know people in the SEC. Uh, I was there for three years and uh, got the call to go back to Boone. So I'd interviewed other places and, and didn't get the Murray State job. Uh, Mark Goffrey got it. Uh, uh, East Tennessee State, Ed DeChillis got it. And I was uh, very lucky to bounce and, and get App State, which is one I really wanted more than anything else. And, and what what was your age when you got the App State job? 32. 32 I got it a month just in time. Didn't coach my first game about 30. I turned 33 a month later, but yeah, I was, it was an exciting time, and uh, yeah, that, was, that was a job. It's interesting. I tell a lot of young kids this day, I said, remember where you are now. You're, you're working your way up. Make sure you treat everybody the same because you never know you're going to come back, and that person you were, you know, you knew at your organization or through school, you may run into them again, and they may be in a different title, and they may be looking to hire somebody. So always keep the good friendship. So your goal growing up was to be a McDonald's All-American. You did that. Your goal was to be a head coach at 32. You did that. You know, you have to feel like, all right, something's going right here. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something right. You know, where, where do you get that from and that drive? And, and, you know, do you lean back to your, to your parents as, you know, okay, those are the great influences that, that helped get me to this point right now. Yeah. I, I just had, to, I had that inner drive sometimes. Um, I don't know what it was, Mike. I mean, my mother was pretty competitive a little bit. Um, like I said, my dad wasn't much of a sports fan. He's more of a low-key guy. Um, uh, he does watch a lot of baseball nowadays, but I, I, I don't know. I just My sister was six and a half years older than me. Um, I just had this inner to, to be the best. And then when I got to App State in the four years, and I'm sitting there, and I, I loved it. I was at a piece there. We had won with three consecutive years of uh, Southern Conference uh, regular season. And we finally broke through and won it the fourth year. And I'm sitting there thinking, I said, okay, you know, back then players didn't go to the pro, you know, they're not leaving. So you had a lot of teams could, you know, people weren't leaving, teams could get better and better. So I just felt like that it's going to be hard for us to get better in the 14th seed. And, um, we're going to be really good, knock some teams off. So I don't know how much more I can do here, but I would really like to go every day to coach against the best. What it's going to be like to coach against the best Hall of Fame coaches in college. And that was my goal at that time. And like you said, you did win uh, the championship there, went to the NCAA tournament in the 1999-2000 uh, season. Um, pinnacle of your, your coaching career, obviously to that point, and it is – you know, was the emphasis at that point from other ADs and all, hey, we got to get a guy that went to the NCAA tournament. Is it as, as – was it kind of as much pressure-packed then as it is mm -hmm. now that that's where a lot of people look at if whether or not you took a team to the NCAA tournament? 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I had a lot of communication with a, a friend of mine, Eric Hyman, who at the time was the athletic director at, um, I think it was at Miami, Ohio. Then he went to uh, Texas A&M. He was at South Carolina. He was at, uh, I want to say Kansas State. Uh, so he was at different places. And Eric kept telling me, he says, get in the tournament. Just get into the NCAA tournament. And then, but, you know, we were close. And we you know, interviewed, at, I mean, Georgia, Georgia Tech, uh, Arkansas, Little Rock, St. Louis, uh, a lot of these schools and just, just and, and got close but didn't get it. And what's interesting, I was set to come back that next year at App State for the fifth year. And what happened in June, uh, Tom Izzo turned down the Hawk shop. Lon Kruger took it from Illinois. Then Bill Self left Tulsa and went to Illinois. And this is this is June, so this is, you know, your camps are wrapping up. You're getting ready to go recruit in July. It's time you spend time with your family. You're, you know, doing your vacations and, and doing some of your hobbies, a golf or whatever. And I get a call one day about any interest in that job. And I said, from a athletic director, Judy McLeod, who is now the commissioner of uh, Commerce USA, I believe, right now. And she uh, she said, hey, would you? I said, yeah, I'd be interested. And so we talked a little bit. She called back the next day. And she says, can you come out? But we need to do this quick. And I said, well, I mean, I can get out there, at, uh, but I don't know how soon. Like, you're talking about next week. So she's talking about tomorrow. I was like, geez. And so, you know, like they were very successful. Uh, and Norm Roberts was there as assistant. I thought, you know, why not give it to him? Um, they interviewed some other guys that have been very successful. So I had a, a family friend, Bob Ingalls, Ellen's Ingalls Grocery Stores there. He had a private plane. So I called him up and I said, hey, Bob, can you get me to Tulsa? He said, yeah. I said, I need to be there tomorrow. I fly out and I fly back. And and we were supposed to be in Hilton Head. So, Jam, I'll never forget this. Jam picks me up when I get back. I interviewed for three hours. And I went to the airport. And I'm on my way to Hilton Head. And, of course, phones were a lot different back then. So, our phone service wasn't great. I get into our condominium where we, uh, where we were. And um, the phone, I don't know. I, they, we had kids were young running around. And I answered the phone. And it was Judy. She says, hey, do you want this job? I said, yes. Yeah. She says, well, I've been trying to get a hold of you for the last two and a half hours. And I said, I, you know, here's what's happening. Jan's not here. I've got three young kids that run around. They want to be on the beach. They want to be in the pool. We just got here. And she's like, okay, uh, we want to offer you this job. I said, I said, really? She says, yeah. Um, what What do you think and all this stuff? And so she gave me terms, and, and we, we discussed them a little bit. And so I, 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 we took the job. And Jan and I, with the kids there, we had to get a babysitter to, uh, to stay with the kids. We flew out for a press conference, and we stayed one night, and we came back. And I talked to Judy while I was there. I said, I, I just got to ask you something. I said, this came out of this woodwork so quick. What happened? She says, you know what? It's crazy how things work. And I said, she said she called Bob Lawless, who was a president, who was who came to Tulsa from uh, Southwest Airlines. He was a CFO, I believe. And he wanted a Duke assistant coach. And Krzyzewski told him that they were not, the guys at that time were not ready. But who are your candidates? And he went through the candidates and, and she did not mention my name. And he says, I thought I read in a paper here that, that uh, Buzz Peterson was one of the guys. And she said, yes, he is. But I didn't think it was fair to ask him. Ask him his name to you because of the robbery of Duke in Carolina. He says, oh, no, 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 no. If you can get him, you better get him. 
that's what he told Bob Lawless and Judy McLeod. And so that's how I was able to get the job. So I think Coach Lott, <laughs> I see him, I said, thank you. But that's what he wanted, and, and that's how I was able to get it. Because a three-hour three, three hour interview ain't going to get it, really. They just kind of want to see your face, da, 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 talk to you, and you're sincere. But Krzyzewski was able to get us the job at Tulsa. And then from there, to give Bill Self a lot of credit, Bill had a talented team. Uh, I kept one of his assistants, John Phillips, who became the head coach after I left. And um, I didn't know how to coach these guys, really, because Bill ran a high-low system. I was not used to that. So I had to change the way I coached to, to help to get these guys. And It's interesting how things worked out, Mike. We lost in overtime in the WAC tournament to Hawaii. It was hot at the time. You know, we probably replaced him as a 12th seed playing your alma mater, Syracuse, and probably get whacked or something happens in that first round, and that's it. You're back at Tulsa. No, we can get an NIT championship. We beat Cal Irvine at home. We go and win at Mississippi State. And now you're on TV. Now you're being seen. You go to Minnesota and you win. And then you go to New York and you win. You beat Memphis and you beat Alabama. Now your team is hot and your name gets hot. And so I say, I say sometimes a lot for young assistant coaches in NIT, it's a chance to <laughs> build up your resume where a lot of people are watching everything. And, and after that, by that time, it was over with. You had three openings, Tennessee, Wake Forest, and South Carolina all approaching. And I felt like at that time I better take one, if not this opportunity might not come back. But the team at Tulsa, a lot of guys are turning. They were turned, but I was thinking, what else can you get? These are three really good jobs. Well, let's go back to what you said for a second there, because I, I found it interesting how you said, you know, they had a great team, but they played a different style and you changed your way of coaching to kind of match up with them. You don't see that some, you know, a lot of times right now in, in, in college coaching, there's a lot of turnover and Hey, it's my style. I'm, we're going to do it no matter who's here, but was that tough for you to kind of change well, your style a little bit to, to fit the personnel that you had? Well, Mike, I tried to do my style. I tried to do it. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, we lost some games, and I just didn't feel like something went in line. So, I, you know, I called Bill. I said, Bill, I just need – can you give me some time the next – this week some time to talk a little bit about this. And so John was in there, Phillips, and I had an, another assistant. Ed Conroy was in there. So we were going over it. And so we did it. And I would, I'll tell you something interesting. So we – we lose in the WAC tournament. Coach Smith retired at the time. He says, hey, you're going to get ready to play some bigger teams with bigger size. You know, we had some we had some size, but the kids were young. So I, I really started with a 6'7 post player, Kevin Johnson from Houston, who's a homeschool kid, and a 6'5 foreman, David Shelton. He was from Cincinnati, so I had to change that up a little bit. So Coach Smith and I talked. He said, look, we'll send you four pages of notes, and I want you to take a look at it. You're not going to be able to change it by the time you play Cal Irvine in two days, but you're going to have some time after that for three or four practices before you play your next opponent. You need to run this. So FedEx comes in the next day, sees papers. I call Coach Smith. I got one of my staff members in there. We go through it. Basically what it was, it was an open post offense. Maybe with one post guy that everything was predicated off the dribble. This was back in 2000. And what we did a lot was a baseline drill pass. And a lot of people didn't notice it. They did not see that. And so we were able to really reverse the ball through the baseline. Anytime somebody dribbled, we all reacted to it. And somebody had to replace that spot, which you kind of did in the zone a lot. We ran that. And you got to hit some outside shots. You got to get hot. And we went on a roll with that offense. And uh, 
surprised some guys on my staff, other guys, said, what, why did we change? And I told them the whole story about uh, Coach Smith influenced me about opening up a little bit, having one post guy and uh, pretty good off a drill penetration and everything. So we got very fortunate in the NIT championship off that stuff. Yeah, that was back in 2001. So you get the FedEx. You didn't get the email with, with everything. You got the FedEx package FedEx, FedEx. right from Chapel Hill and Coach Smith. That's great. So, so like, like you said, you, you're hot at that time. You win the NIT championship. You probably maybe going into that year thinking you were going to be at Tulsa for a while. But, you know, you, you've got to strike while the iron's hot. And, and, and as you said, uh, you know, a couple opportunities there. Tennessee was one of them, and that's where you went. But what, what made that a good fit for you at the time in 2001? Mike, you know, it, it's I, – I, my dad went to school there. I have a lot of family on his side uh, from up to La Follette down to Athens, Tennessee. I'd been in some football games there. Um, I hadn't really been to South Carolina that much. I've gone through Columbia. I didn't – I was very familiar with the program from the John Roach days, Alex English, all of that. Um, but I start getting calls from Wake Forest, from the athletic director, saying, hey, look, if you hold off um, – my, our coach is probably going to take the Tennessee or South Carolina job, and then you can come here and wait for us. And at, to me, I just felt like, uh, look at that, the hair. <laughs> Love JR, it. Those pictures, wow. Uh, it, it's just I feel like it was a really difficult job, Wake Forest was. And because, you know, North Carolina, Duke was going to get plus, NC State was going to get some of the best, and then you had to compete against UNCC or whoever, East Carolina, to get the next best. And – I just feel like at Tennessee, there was some opportunity there. Uh, I, I really liked the athletic director who was uh, who I was talking to, uh, Coach Dickey. And he made something very interesting. He said, look here. He says, Philip Fulmer, Pat Summit, they got to win national championships. I just want you to be, stay very competitive. Uh, if anybody calls from Johnson City to the other 400 miles of the state in Memphis, I want you to go speak to it. If it's an Optimus Club, it's a Kiwanis Club, whatever, I want you to go there. And I said, okay. I started thinking, well, that's not a whole lot of pressure. I mean, I guess I can handle it. But the one thing I, I will tell you, at 36 years old, 37, whatever I was at the time, that is a tough, tough league at that age to be put in. Um, and if you think you can do it, I felt like I'd be fine and everything. But when you're president, I went through five presidents in four years there. Mm -hmm. I went through a change of athletic director. When that happens, your stick gets a little strong, short and everything. And so when the change was made, uh, I didn't want to leave there, Mike. I just because I had family, and I and I told the people, I said, "Look, if I don't get a chance to play tournament fifth year, and then what I will do, I'll stay around, uh, take the same pay, and I'll rate, help raise money, do whatever you, you need me to do." Um, but it, it, the situation was pretty difficult. I didn't realize at the time the starting backcourt was uh, was into things they shouldn't have been, and I lost both of them uh, uh, out of my control. Uh, so when that, I lost those two guys and I had a couple of guys academically that were ineligible. Uh, so that's why I was getting a job to clean that stuff up. And when that happened and the team was going to be really good, and I lost those three guys and just, you know, it hurt us pretty bad. Three starters, Marcus Hayslip was one of them. He was a lottery pick by the Bucks. So, um, so anyway, that's, uh, that's why that's reason we just, uh, I guess the familiarity, the family atmosphere there, uh, known in Knoxville and, uh, uh, it's just, you know, that's that's kind of, I felt pretty good about that decision. Yeah, you mentioned in coaching and media as well, at some point you're going to lose your job. You, right. you know, and, you know, especially in coaching, it's performance-based, it's record-based, you know how, how that works. Was that 
difficult. What was that experience like at the time? And did it help to have your family, your wife, Jan, and your, your family oh, there to kind of be by your yeah. side? It, it was very, very humbling, Mike. It was difficult. You had three young kids who didn't quite understand. Um, it caught me off guard a little bit when it happened. Um, it, it, it was surprising. I didn't, I didn't see it coming. Uh, so that, that got you a little bit, but after the dust settled and everything, um, uh, a gentleman by the name of Alan LaForce, who was the women's coach at Coastal Carolina, we were together at East Tennessee State as assistants for less. He kept calling me and said, listen, I want you to come to uh, look at Coastal Carolina. I didn't know much about it. I'd heard of school, yes, and everything. And so, uh, and I, t- I talked to Coach Smith. We had opportunity at Florida Atlantic also. I talked to them in, in Coastal. And Coach Smith said, hey, look, he says, you got a pretty good team come by next year. I said, yeah, I think we'll, we'll be pretty good. And uh, he says, well, that's that's good for a young AD. That's going to make him look better. Here's his hire uh, with this group. So they're going to make a change there. He says, they're going to be successful off you. You're going to be in that town. Get, get out of town. Get out of town. And so uh, I took his advice, and I took the Coastal Carolina job. And uh, so off we went to, from Myrtle Beach there for, for the two years and everything. So um, – do I look back and say, should I stay in, stayed in Knoxville? Da, da, da. You still want to coach, you know, you still feel like you want to do it. And, uh, and coach LaForce, uh, I, I love the man to death. He's still alive. So living this day, he's here in Rock Hill. And I took his advice and, and with coach Smith, we went, went off to coastal Carolina. I want to talk about coastal for a second, but go, I want to backtrack to Tennessee and, and you mentioned Pat's summit, uh, obviously women's basketball and, and, and she's a legend on, on that side. What, what was that relationship like? And, and, and were there some things that you took away from her coaching style and what she did? Because obviously she was, you know, winning national championships there at the time. You know, when I got the job, Roy Williams called me. He said, look here. He said, I know you don't have this ego or anything, but I want you to do me a favor. So I want you to really listen to that lady. He said, Buzz, she knows the game. And there's something she's doing pretty special there. So pick her brain. When you get good information, call me. I want to know the same what she's doing. So I kind of took that up. And, uh, you know, I, I told her, I said, hey, look, I, as much as you let me talk to you about X's and O's or whatever you're doing, whatever, just let me know. But you know what I gained from her more than anything else? She would come in my office. I've had a daytimer. I still have them to this day. You probably saw the daytimers on my desk at, at Wilmington. But my tutor at Carolina got me involved in that. So I had the daytime on my desk. And I noticed one day somebody had been in there and was marking on it. And it kept saying, meet with your players. Meet with your players. So that's my secretary. I said, who's coming in here doing this? She said, I can't say. She said, you should know who's doing that. And I said, oh, I know exactly who's doing it. So I went over to, the, to Pat and I said, are you writing in my daytimer? What are you doing that for? She says, you got to build a relationship with your players. And I said, I am a coach. I said, I've got to go to I've got to go to Johnson City tomorrow. And then I got two, I gotta to speak twice, one in Nashville, one in Mur- Murfreesboro the next day. She says, Buzz, I'm telling you, you better tell them no because if the players don't trust you off the floor, how are they gonna trust you on the floor? You better build those relationships. She does two things. She meets with them in her house or she meets with them in the office. And it's not so much about the basketball, she talks about their life. And that's why she was so successful. Those players would run through a brick wall for her because they loved her, they believed her, and they knew that she, uh, they, she had her back for them. And so it was – I learned that was so important, the relationships you build with these players. If I told a young man, a uh, young lady to this day, if they were coaching, I said, you better get to know your people playing for you. 
and that's the most take all the x and those all that stuff out of the floor you better have a strong bond strong relationship it's not so much a starter they're going to be happy it better be that 15th person uh that boy or that lady that girl that, that you better get to know uh that, that believe in you also and so anyway that it was there and the one thing I, I do, they still have this day, the, the checkerboard on the baseline. I went to Coach Dickey about that. I said, look, football's got the checkerboard on the, on the field. I said, why don't we put it on the basketball court? I said, I'm, you know, because I never forget my dad said, look, you, you, the Tennessee job. I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, let me let me explain something to you. He said, you you better not have an ego. I said, why, Dad? He said, well, there's football there. You understand that? I said, yeah. He said, he said then there's spring football. I said, yes. Yeah. So I said, I said, we're not better. He said, no, you know, spring football is big. I mean, they'll have 75, 80,000 for their game. He said, son, I tell you, third is Lady Ball basketball. You'll be fourth fiddle in this. And he was right. He was right. So, But I didn't have ego. And I was going to build up try to get as high as I could. So I thought the checkerboard would kind of help me draw those people in like that. So, But I, I love Tennessee. I still love it to this day. And uh, I watched their football team. I watched what Rick's doing in basketball. And uh, – it's, I just hate that we couldn't get it going there. Uh, and just like Wilmington, I hate we couldn't get it turned around. Uh, so that's how things work out, and you got to move on. Well, so your lasting impression there, you, you, you look at the court, you get the, I think I think of you now when I watch a Tennessee basketball game at, at home. There you go. That's great. That's great. So, yeah, Coastal for a couple of years. Then, then you get out of coaching. You work for the Bobcats, working for uh, and, and with Michael Jordan. What got you back into coaching? Because you had a second stint at Appalachian State after that. Did you, yeah. Is it something that you just had to get back to? That really caught me off guard when Michael Michael called me and said, look, I'm going to get the basketball part of the Bobcats. He said, I want you to come with me. And I said, whoa. I said, what would I be doing? He said, I want you to be director of player personnel. You're going to be in charge of the scouting, the, the, the players in the country. I want you to keep an eye on the team, all this stuff. He says, no stress. <laughs> I'm not the coaching. And I thought about it for a long time, and then uh, that, that's when we got excited to do it. And what, and what was that like, you know, to be out of coaching for, you know, for the first time in a while? Oh, oh. <laughs> Mike, there's something about being on the floor teaching the game of basketball, and that's what I've been doing for all those years. And I struggled. I really did. And um, it, it was hard for me not to be there, and that's when I told Mike, I may have to get back into coaching. I says it's hard for you to understand, but you you're teaching these young men, uh, you know, basketball and stuff. Just, and, and I said, I said the perfect. I always say the perfect world for a coach would be you practice Monday through Friday, and on Saturday you have this scrimmage. Those games turn your stomach upside down and all that stuff, and then Sunday's off. But uh, anyway, yeah, you know, it's so I, I had to get back in in Appalachian State. Uh, called back again, and we talked about it, and I was. Wasn't sure about doing that or not, but uh, we went back there for a year and then on to Wilmington after that. Yeah, going back to App, you know, what was it like going back a second time? Obviously, you had great success there the first time. You went to the NCAA tournament. You, as you said, you won regular season titles in the SoCon and then the the tournament as well. Were you did you think you had a chance to recapture that that feeling for you and and that program as well? Well, it was hard to take it because my assistant had a job, Houston Fancher, and. and yeah. I said, I would not take this job unless he he has a blessing behind it, in which he did and everything. And and a lot of credit, he did a good job. It's just you didn't get into the didn't get into the tournament and win that championship game. That year I went back, we got into the final game and 
we ran up against a very hot Walford team and beat us. But we got in that CIT tournament and beat Jeremy Lynn's team, Harvard, at home in that tournament, and then went and won at Marshall against Hassan Whiteside, and then lost to home to Pacific in the, in the third round. But uh, it was a great tournament, great time there. Um, I commuted. My family stayed in Charlotte. So in the beginning, I was driving 103 miles one way and then back after practice. So that got a little old after a while. Uh, but I had a, the love for Boone. I really enjoyed it. But it just uh, at the end, I just, you know, I, I didn't know what the, you know, Wilmington came calling. And I thought, you know what, it's a better situation. We may not take a look at it. Now, you mentioned Houston Fancher. You eventually had him a part of your staff at UNCW as well. And what reading about you and, and the UNCW job, you wanted that job earlier, the previous time that, that it came open, and yeah. it just didn't work out at that time. Yeah, and that's how things are. That's fine. And, and it, I just looked at it when I was at Coastal Carolina. I remember coming up there and playing, and Brad was there, and they had a heck of a team, and they beat us pretty good at home. And what I saw in Trash Coliseum, I said, wow. This environment's pretty good. Uh, the community's behind him and everything. So, you know, the, the thing that I that made the job a little difficult was you had, I might want to say, 70 or 50-some days between when Benny was let go until we took it over. And we had some academic uh, issues. And, again, kind of a little bit like Tennessee, that, you know, that kind of set you back a little bit. And so now you're – you're kind of behind the eight ball a bit. And it, 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 it's hard to just recover back then. We, the transfer portal wasn't that big. Usually transfer, you had to sit out a year or whatever. So now it's guys are transferring to play right away. So we just couldn't really get it going. And then we had this situation where we couldn't play in the postseason. That, I think it was the second year. And, of course, recruiting people were killing us on that. And, that, again, that set you back even more. So uh, when things get going like that, it's probably best to – make a change and get another person in there and everything. And, and yeah, it's upsetting that uh, you couldn't get it going and everything, but uh, you know, it's, it, it, I can't hold against Jimmy Bass or anything. You got, you got it. I'm, I'm in Jimmy's position now and you know, you gotta, you gotta win. And it's, it's, uh, you got, you know, sometimes you have to make that change and that heart is tough to swallow. But now I look at it and say, Hey, I don't blame him. You know, you wouldn't win and you, you would, your team went very successful, but, uh, we just got behind early on some things, and I was I was nervous. I was nervous that, that a lot of that stuff happened early. I knew we wanted to really turn around, get some guys in there that, that really make turn things. But it was hard to get some guys. We had a pretty good class there with uh, with uh, Adam Smith and everything. But you know he leaves and and goes to Virginia Tech and to Georgia Tech, and then had a couple other kids leaving, so that it made it difficult. Then. Yeah, you had uh, I think it eight player class at one point that's a lot of a lot of kids but you know you look at it now you know uncw fans that may be watching this you know craig ponder was one of those guys and he stuck around won a championship there and is now an assistant coach on that staff so uh, again it seems like you, you've left a, a positive mark behind at uncw whether you realize that or not yeah the thing i will say i felt like it uh we, we got the guys i mean it's just get them back in class get you know think i can think uh, you're there's a student first stuff like that, trying to get guys that and those are some things we had to do uh heck the basketball court at the time let's get back and, and focus on the classroom so but yeah what you want to do for kevin coming in is you want to i talked to kevin and you want to make sure you know this individual this individual this is what you need to be doing think about it. and um 
to make sure that some things you did that helped him be successful in the player here and there. So you're happy to see him turn around. You know, it's tough. You think, why couldn't we get it done? But you know in the back of your mind what happened, and you don't want to go out there and talk about a lot, but you're just glad to see some of those kids like Ponder be very successful. Let's talk about, you know, again, you made the transition out of coaching now with the, the Charlotte Hornets. So, so Michael Jordan, able to work with him once again. What's your role currently and, and what's that like for you to once again be away from the court from a coaching standpoint, but, but you know, have some other roles? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, been a, it's been an interesting transition. I mean, it's back when 14 came in and, and it's just you're, you're with the team a lot, uh, kind of Michael's eyes and ears and watching the, watching the team play. To move up to a different position where you started doing some scouting a little bit, also watch the team until your role involved as assistant general manager, which I've been doing the last four or five years, I believe. And um, that can lead to anything. You know, Mike, now you're you're looking at some budget uh, situations. You're looking at – now you're watching M- other NBA teams for trades. You're dealing with these big contracts now. You're negotiating with agents. Uh, each team can have two people that negotiate contracts. Well, Mitch Kupchak and myself do that. Two people can talk to other teams. That's Mitch and myself. So – you, you can be watching a basketball game every single night. Um, I try to be disciplined that. Leave, leave, one night, Jen and I can go get dinner somewhere. Now we're blessed with three grandkids, so you want to see those. But, I mean, see those kids. But it's uh, – I try to, like, I look at the NBA schedule. I look at the college schedule. They'll give me maybe 25 guys right now to zero in and take a look at for the draft. That list goes down a little bit. Now with the G League, you got to stay on top of that. Watch players there. Now it's a new league called the Overtime. It's got 24 players in it and all the international stuff. So your day starts early where you look at the computer, all the box scores uh, that's going on. It's trying to keep up with things that are going on in, in, around basketball in the whole world. So you can watch a game every night. I mean, you can literally watch it. If it's college or it's pro, you can watch it every night. But what's interesting to me sometimes when a college game is on there and it's a pretty good game, my eyes turn or my hands go to that channel uh, and start watching that college game a little bit. It's just something you did for so many years. It's like I told a, a group of people the other day, and we were talking about uh, players one and done and people thinking about going into the G League early and the overtime league. I said, let me tell you something. There's nothing like experiencing college. There's nothing like sitting down with, the, the guys on the team where you got a dinner and a bus ride and all that stuff, but just the, the, the students, the crowd at the game, the noise and excitement, and everything. There's nothing like college, college sports. Yeah, and you've been to some of the best campuses, best environments in, in college basketball, I'm sure as well. And you know, I, I, I want to touch on your family because they are so important for you. We saw that when you were, you were here at UNCW, your wife, Jan, your, your three kids. Now, as you said, the three grandkids. So you are a grandfather now and, you know, as a, a coach and now, you know, in, as a GM as well, you're, you're dedicating so much time to your craft. How do you balance that with your family as well to make sure that you're there when they need you as well? Yeah, it's there's nothing like, you know, when we hear stories, uh, when Jan tells stories of the kids when they were younger, I miss those. I wasn't there. I mean, like I said, you know, like Tennessee, you're running all over the state uh, speaking in this. You miss – I mean, I, I spoke on Saturday mornings sometimes. Um, I, I, I do miss that, that those times with the kids. But now I have three grandkids, and uh, I want to see them as much as possible. Um, 
uh, it's just you got you got to <laughs> look at that picture. Um, you gotta try to enjoy as much as possible, and, and and Michael knows that he's very good about spending time with your family. There's two times. I mean, there's all these Thanksgiving tournaments and Christmas tournaments. I know I don't even ask Jan to travel then. I know I better be around the house because <laughs> those times are, are very special for her and everything. So uh, it's a, it's a balance. If I told a young man now coaching, I would tell him get your priorities right. You know, spend some time with your family, those young kids. Basketball's always going. Oh, look at that! Basketball's <laughs> always going to be there. Everything and um, and your assistants can handle it. And it's just I always say hire good people. I go back to Coach Smith. Another thing, I said, Coach, along with discipline, what else is important? He said, the first two hours of your job. And I said, What do you mean? He says, Yeah, the first two hours. I said, What? Do you, what what's? What, what? Tell me. He said, That's who you're going to hire. You've already known before you got that job who you're going to hire. But the people working for you, those people are going to make you successful. Good stuff. Good advice, sir. We're going to end on this. A question that I probably should have asked you a long time ago. Where does Buzz come from? It's Robert Bauer Peterson Jr. That's right. Well, yeah. Where's the buzz coming to play here? Buzz comes from a cartoon called Brother Buzz, my sister's favorite cartoon in the, gosh, let's say 60s that she watched. And it was a little bee that flew around. And she used to call it, when I was little, crawling around, that's, that's my brother Buzz right there, like the bee on TV. So as I got older, uh, it was there. But in Hickory, if I went back to Hickory, a lot of people would call me Bobby. Uh, as a kid, but Buzz is stuck for all these years. Look at there. And so uh, I've just had it. There's not many people, uh, even when I have to sign Robert, it feels weird. Uh, there's Eddie Fogler will call me Robert, uh, and uh, Roy Williams will call me Bauer by my middle name. So uh, but Buzz is stuck for 50, 50 some years, but my sister and her middle child, her name is Andrea. And but I call her Buffy just to get back at my sister. <laughs> There's always an origin story for the nickname, so there you That's go. Right. Your sister is the one that that you know we could look to for that. Uh, coach, this has been an enjoyable, it's been uh, great to catch up with you and, and to really dive into uh your history again. Uh, my time with you is the four years at UNCW, but uh, just a, a great sports journey that you have to share, and we, we're glad that you shared that with us here today. Mike, thanks, thanks for having me. Well, again, my thanks to Buzz Peterson for joining us here today. Great stories all around and even a little Cal Ripken thrown in there as well. We appreciate his time here today as the NBA season about to get underway. We appreciate you joining us here today as well. Stick with us. More great shows lined up, more great guests, more great stories to come as well. As always, my thanks to J.R. Quitman, our creator, producer, and director of the show. Chuck Denson, that voice you hear at the beginning everybody else who makes this what it is episode three in the books episode four coming your way soon again it is in the front row with mike vaccaro thanks for joining us today have a great day everybody